My name is Jeff Lerner, and I interview elite performers from a wide range of disciplines, entrepreneurs, athletes, celebrities, scientists, artists, and more. This is Unlock Your Potential. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Unlock Your Potential. So excited to be back with you. This is Jeff Lerner, your host. Always thrilled to get to be here having amazing conversations with amazing human beings. Today is going to be one for the books. I already know we are here with Dr. Fred Moss, um, known as the Undoctor. Dr. Moss has been in the mental health field for over 40 years. As a psychiatrist, his practice has been anything but conventional, realizing that diagnoses and associated conventional treatments can often do more harm than good, which I totally agree with. Dr. Fred has now moved to the universal healing modality of communication, conversation, connection, listening, and creativity as his source for all healing. Dr. Fred has written two books, Creative Eight, and his most recent book, Find Your True Voice, which utilize these methodologies to re-optimize, restore, and revitalize the disempowered context that many people now find themselves immersed within in this crazy, challenging world. He is now finally doing what he came here to do, bringing a new sense of life and livelihood to those ready to live again. Dr. Fred is an avid podcast fan and teaches podcasting as an authenticity-based art. I love that. To novices and experienced communicators ready to unleash their true voice to the world. He lives in Northern California with his amazing wife and is owned by his three cats, Valentino, Despacito, and Winston. Dr. Moss, exactly. welcome exactly. to the show. Yeah, exactly. You couldn't have said my cat's names better. It's like you've talked to them. That's you could. They, that's ex Valentino, Despacito, and Winston are really exactly as you just said. <laughs> but, well, I, I, I kind of picked up on it. I figured there was some irony in having two, uh, <laughs> two really, really classy, exotic names and then just, you know, went. Winston. Winston. Yeah. Winston. I, I don't know. I don't know if you ever watched the show New Girl, but there's a character on it, Winston, who's kind of the a little bit of the whipping post and it's uh -huh. just like, eh, Winston, you know. Yeah, but, well, uh, you, got, you got Winston Churchill, and then you got a really famous Winston that most people these days uh, probably haven't gone that far to know about, which is the Winston that uh, the main character in 1984. And mm. uh, that Winston goes through some shit, seriously. Okay. Yeah. My son is actually reading 1984 right now. And I told him, great, you're getting to look to the past to see the present. That's really exciting. <laughs> well, it's interesting. I, I uh, you know, it's in, as I recall, it's in three sections. And I've had a hard time going from section two to section three because it, it's so shockingly real and so, so frightening. And I kind of have a clue what happens in section three. So I, I actually have been too afraid to read section three and <laughs> I haven't gotten there. Well, it's, it's been years for me. So I, I wouldn't be the one to... Uh, give you the the spoiler It'd be, i'd have to go refresh but yeah that was a powerful i'll tell you i went through a phase as a young person that uh brave new worlds Aaron fight 451 like yeah. and it, and lord i of the flies. yeah yeah lord of the flies and it was i'm almost surprised i don't know i'm almost surprised the powers that be actually let children read that stuff back then because man it really freaks you out it does <laughs> It does. It does. And, you know, there's something so core humanity about it that that's what makes it so scary. It's like, wow, yeah, I guess that's insurmountable with the way we think it's sort of inevitable. Oh, with, if it's really inevitable, then that's what we're looking at around the corner. And if that's what we're looking at around the corner, we better ask ourselves, what are we doing today? What, yeah. what, what do you got to what do you got to say about right now? What do you what are you what are you doing with this stuff that you are taking for granted that maybe isn't um, uh, just a 
a birthright. Maybe it's something that has been a gift that we're taking for granted that could easily be taken away from us and leave us with an entirely new existence. And I think, you know, boiling down to what you said about my, um, in, when speaking about my bio, that's what has come down for me. And especially I think today more than any other day, I woke up with a couple of, you know, socks to the head basically in some conversations like, whoa, you know, by six o'clock I was like, whoa, whoa. You know, and uh, that's 6 a.m. to be clear. 6 a.m. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, by 6 a.m. I have my personal trainer at 6 a.m. So by 5.50, when I was stupid enough to check my email, uh, there was like, oh, wow. And uh, then and then I had a couple more, a couple more little, you know, slaps to the face about this or that. And it's like, all right. All right. I guess so. And, you know, the life is changing. Communication is changing. It's difficult times. And I don't know a better thing to pursue. I mean, I feel kind of helpless at various times or, you know, I can feel I can certainly dip into feeling hopeless or to being, um, you know, to being, mm, let's say, resigned, you know, yeah. and, 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 and when that happens, all the wind goes out of my sails. And when that happens, I'm like, oh, yeah, big bad Dr. Fred's just like, you know, melted into butter and. Say, well, how am I going to get up again? How am I going to get up again and speak to the power of true voice? Like, who who gave me that? Who gave me that opportunity? How did? Why am I synonymous? Why am I in the front edge of bringing, you know, true voice as the essence of healing? Because it just is. That's why it just is. Let's let's get right down to brass tacks. If you don't, if you're not speaking authentically, if you're not connecting with other people, if you're not resonating with that person, whether or not you agree with them, you're not getting very much done. I can promise you that. And your life isn't that good. Yeah. So I, I want to dig into this. Like, and, and I mean, I want to really, I want to like cut deep. Um, oh. And I'll just give you a brief bit of context that my audience already knows. I mean, the last three and a half years for me has been one big running ongoing experiment in finding my true voice. Beautiful. I have fully embraced the subtle art of not giving up. Mm -hmm. And I don't say that from a place of aggressive, like hmm. belligerent, I'm going to show them. I say it from a really sincere place of That's like how the book is written and the book is written for that. It's not a, it's yeah. not a book. It's right there. You're right. Yeah, It's like, you can't like, I'm, I, as the more I find my true voice, the better my business goes, the bigger my podcast gets. I got a book deal that's coming out. Like all that, it's like the world is so hungry for it that it's not just finding your voice. I feel like for me, it's the energy exchange that starts happening when you are, because you are truly in your voice, you are truly heard and truly felt. And then that energy is reciprocated to you and you start getting what you're giving. Exactly. And, and the nurturing energy of authentic reciprocity heals and grows in a way that, I, you know, I, I don't have the medical background, but I've, I've been to guys like you on the other side who tried to medicate me and I didn't get shit out of it. Yeah, no, the medication, you know, you talked a little bit about undoctor. So undoctor is something that affectionately was a name I picked up a few years ago from a friend because what I have been doing for the last 15 years, just to let your audience know is, you know, I've been a psychiatrist for 32, 33 years and uh, I went into psychiatry so that I could bring communication into the field because I was so sick of the way psychiatrists were dealing with the kids I was working with at the mental health at the state mental health facility, you know, we'd call them and Jimmy was up too late or Tony and Timmy got into a fight in the afternoon. And the psychiatrist would come down, you know, from his call room with the uh, with his weapon 
and uh, this thing called a pen and would talk to Jimmy for three seconds, talk to this childcare worker for seven seconds and then go into the nursing office and write some order. And then we'd have to go get Jimmy and then hold him down in the quiet room while we while the nurse got the injection ready and pounded it into his hip so that he was left in a stupor for the next 12 or 24 hours. And that was considered a success. And this happened so many times that it was so heinous and barbaric that I simply couldn't stand it, even though by that time I was had dropped out of college for a second time where I made it my business to go back to college and simply bring communication effectively into the world of mental health and psychiatry. And 13 years later, there I was as a child and adolescent trained psychiatrist graduate of Northwestern University off to do that very thing. However, in the meantime, in 1987, Prozac was introduced to the world, and that was such a paradigmatic shifting agent that changed everything. Most people are too young, you know, to, to really understand what happened there. But what really happened is that uh, what had been a communication field, the world of psychiatry had now became a biological field, the world of chemical imbalances. And the idea was that if you're uncomfortable for any reason, then it's your fault. Then there's something wrong with you then you got a chemical abnormality. Then we got an app for you. We got a medicine for you. And so on the backside of Prozac came Zoloft, came Paxil, came all the mood stabilizers, all the atypical antipsychotics, all the, uh, you know, so many different drugs, uh, atypical antidepressants, and then came all sorts of diagnoses that weren't even close to diagnoses before that. And now that you, you can't even walk to a psychiatrist's office anymore and not get a diagnosis. In fact, they're not allowed to send you out of the office without a diagnosis. When you show up at a psychiatrist's office and they write no diagnosis, then they will not get paid for that office visit. Now, so I had now become a psychiatrist, which made me a diagnostician, an extraordinary diagnostician. And not only that, I had now become an internationally acclaimed psychopharmacologist who, in fact, has written over 100,000 medication prescriptions in my life. None of them were good for me. None of them, not one of them did I feel good about. And so my heart had been wrenching and my soul had been sacrificing for the last 30 years. And in 2006, I started doing something different. And this was the start of the young doctor, which is I started really taking people off their medicine and then taking them off their diagnosis and reliably they got better. Then I used my low risk patients to start first. But then I learned that people who were really tired of being tired, people who really want knew that their life could be way bigger than it was. All they really wanted to know is that they were normal human beings going through the pains and suffering as well as the thrills and you know chills of being a human. And once we were able to connect at a at that level, like resonate at that level, look at each other square in the eye and get that we're both humans. I don't, I don't have that much more than you do, except that I'm a human too, and I know that. Then a new level, a new level of healing would take place at that very instant, at that very instant. And if we took the diagnosis and prescription out of the way, carefully, by the way, I'm not suggesting that your, your, your listener should do that right away. Um, and by the way, also, I'm not even suggesting that, there, uh, that we should, that I'm diminishing the power of the pain that people are in. Frankly, I would say that I'm emphasizing the pain that people are in and actually giving us access to it rather than declaring that it's something wrong with us. Like be, mm -hmm. being in that level of pain in this world is actually authentic and appropriate. It, it's fine. It's, it's fine. It's fine. It's totally fine. In fact, if you're pretending not to be in pain in this world, you're full of shit, actually. Yeah, it's, it's, it's completely understandable 
to the point in from my point of view where like there'd probably be something strange if you weren't feeling existential pain the way the world is that's right that's yeah. right and it's not just the way the world is the last two years by the way it's the way the world's been i mean it's the way the world it's always been the worst that it's ever been it's just gotten a little worse i mean it's, you know it's, it's always been a little it's always been the best it's ever been it just got a little better it's always been that you know the best of times the worst of times that we, that wasn't written last year that was written yeah. like a few decades ago and it was right when he wrote it and what's here is to get that this diagnostic stuff and these treatments and prescriptions and this willingness to mm, relinquish or acquiesce into a mental health diagnosis so that you can write off the things that you do that you're either ashamed of or, or um, uncomfortable with in your life, like the habits you have where you hurt somebody or where you don't follow through that which you think you should and therefore get to write it off as having a certain condition Look, if you want to take responsibility for the stuff that I'm doing when I'm a jerk, I'm completely cool with that. You could, I, if I can give it off to somebody else or a condition, honey, mm -hmm. that's not me. That's my bipolar disorder. Oh, that's not me. That's my ADHD. That's my PTSD. That's my major depression coming back. We can do it that way, except wouldn't it be interesting if we just basically embraced all of our human traits, including the stuff we're doing that is just ridiculous? Hello, you're doing ridiculous stuff because you're human. You're making mistakes and you're making them again. Why? Because you're human. It's all good. It's all bad. It's all the same. We're all doing that. What I have found more than anything is that when people hear this, this can be remarkably inspiring. That you don't have to go to psychoanalysis for 12 or 15 years. You don't have to move to Tibet. You don't have to live in a cave. You don't even have to sit under a Bodhi tree. You don't have to do anything. You can get that starting right this minute, your experience right this second is completely legitimate. A hundred percent. Even the fact that you are sure it isn't is legitimate. You see, we all feel that about ourselves, that there's something wrong with us. So it makes it entirely normal to know that you're not normal. Because we all know that we're not normal. And by the way, on the flip side, if somebody was like, nope, there is nothing wrong with me. That's bullshit. We too. diagnose them as a narcissist. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Like, that's right. you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Or, you know, the world of bipolar, you know, I, people are like, I don't want to get too happy. I'm like, yeah, that would be a bummer, wouldn't it? Or... You know, yeah, you don't want to get too happy. You don't want to get too sad. You don't want to be up too long. You don't want to not have enough sleep. You don't want to eat too much. You don't want to eat too little. You don't even know how much normal is. The word normal has never even been defined. And we blow around the word abnormal like we understand what it is when abnormal, of course, is a term based on some very vague understanding of what normal is, which is. Well, yeah, the word, the word normal just comes from the Latin word for a right angle. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, what the hell does that actually have to do with a human life? Yeah, that's interesting. Or you can use it in mathematics, you know, like yeah. normal normal being like the 50th percentile of the mean. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're engineering a bridge, I hope that your joints are at true normal intersections, but what the hell does that have to do with the complexity of a human existence? Like, well, I'll tell you what it has to do with. We have bought it hook, line and sinker as being something that we hang our hats on. 
So you're right, it doesn't really fit. And on the other hand, it has become the background prevailing conversation to support mental health or to support the, like I, you know, I'm in mental health. It's so interesting. Mental health and mental illness are synonymous with each other these days. You, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. you can't tell if someone's saying that, that they're mental, like they're like, it's- it's like, a, it's like a pathological science, basically. It really is. You know, it's interesting that you say that. So. I think it's the only science or the only medical um, subspecialty, I'm pretty sure about this, no one has ever brought one up to me otherwise, where when someone comes to a psychiatrist's office, and again, I've had 40,000 people come to my office in various shapes or forms in those 30 years, and you say something to them like, there's nothing wrong with you, they get furious. There's no other medical condition where that is the case. Like, do you mind, can you see going in hoping that your heart is okay and having someone tell you your heart is okay and you just getting pissed? <laughs> like that's what happens in mental health. If someone comes in and they, and you tell them, well, you don't have an anxiety disorder. You actually, your anxious, your, your anxiety is like legitimate. Maybe you should stop drinking a pot of coffee a day. Or, you know, maybe the fact that your uh, mother's dying is really concerning. Right. Um, and they say, wait, yeah, but there's something wrong with me. And you're like, no. Then they will actually leave your office irritated and go next door to another office that can prove to them there's something wrong with them. Yeah, they came for the quick fix. They came to be told there was something wrong with them. Yeah. Which is even more important than the quick fix. So mm -hmm. that's how Undoctor got developed. Initially, Undoctor, you know, initially in 2006, when I started pulling people off, I was of the very... I think very common, uh, the very common notion that medicines were the problem. But there was no fruit in going there at all because medicines are an inert substance and medicines are not the problem. The same way rat poison is not the problem. There's no problem, it's just medicine. So what is the problem? So I backed off a little more and I'm like, oh, the problem is, is that people think they have a problem. That's the problem. The problem is, is that people think there's something actually wrong with them and they have convinced themselves that there's something wrong with them for which they should now carry a diagnosis so that they can relinquish responsibility for some portion of their life. And once they get that done, then they can walk around having done that. Again, with all due respect to anybody who's got a diagnosis who's listening, if it's working for you to have that diagnosis and you're being treated in a way that leaves you completely optimized to a level that you wouldn't wanna change a thing, then please, please, please don't change a thing. This is not, this is not putting you down. This is not diminishing what you're doing. If you got to a space where your life is working and you have some psychiatric diagnosis, like seriously, yay for you. Mm -hmm. This is not for that. This is for the people who aren't sure that about their diagnosis or who are sure they don't have what they think they have or who are taking medicines that frequently actually, unfortunately, perpetuate and in some cases actually cause the symptoms they're marketed to treat. That is pretty remarkable. These medicines frequently actually perpetuate and in some cases cause the symptoms they're marketed to treat. And that's a pretty great business model, but in fact, when you really look at it, um, you wouldn't be able to tell if that's true or not if you were went from within the machine. Right. You would think that when you got worse, that was your symptoms showing up. Mm-hmm.
and you take medicines to alleviate that. So that's why medicine doses go up and up and up and up. And now the average person taking psychiatric meds is taking four or five meds. And the older people who are on psychiatric meds, believe it or not, they're taking up to 12, 15 meds for their psychiatric conditions. But they didn't start off with 12 or 15. They started off with one. And when and then and then things got worse. And then someone decided that, oh, there's an emergence of number two, number three, number four, number five. And now you're on 15 meds. And you know, you're, yeah, if you're on 15 psychiatric meds, it, uh, you're going to be sick. I promise. Yeah, then, then at that point, you probably do have a condition. No, you definitely do. And that's what I'm saying is that these medicines, see, this is in the most heinous way. Um, you know, in the most sort of unacceptable way. The idea that on occasion, these medicines actually cause the symptoms they're marketed to treat, like directly. So when you take an antidepressant, and you're not depressed, then you can expect in a few weeks to actually be depressed because you're because that's what the antidepressants do. And, and I love the way they put su like suicide is actually one of the contraindications in the fine print of antidepressants yeah right exactly like i've exactly. never been lost on me like okay my suit my risk of suicide goes up when i take this i'd probably rather just deal with how i'm feeling yeah your risk of suicide definitely goes up and and again it's there you know the the, the system is extremely well designed. Why do I know that? Because people line up around the block every morning at eight to be the first person into the pharmacy to build to fill their monthly meds so that they can confirm that they have a diagnosis. And if you let them know that they don't, they might never ever talk to you again. Some of the biggest complaints that I've had, and I have a couple, are from people who think that I was rude by actually challenging whether or not there was something wrong with them. Hmm. And they see that as being abrasive when they know there's something wrong with them and they want to have it confirmed. Right. And and so it's really a it's really a, a sore spot for some people. So I want to I want to just share partly because in I don't know, roughly 200 episodes of this show, I've never actually shared what I'm about to share. And I feel like this is creating a space for me to just I want to share this with my audience and and, cool. and it's, I feel like you're a, you're a great person to share this with. So super. I've been prescribed psychiatric medications three times in my life. Uh, once when I was a kid, like, and it was, uh, Ritalin, Adderall. It was Adderall. Yeah. I think I was, I forget how I was like 14 years old. Right. Yeah. Um, actually four times. I don't even remember what it was in, in high school when I dropped out. Cause I, I had, I just had problems at school. I didn't, I hated school. I just hate, I don't know, like kids do. Right. And so I, therefore I must've been depressed. So I had that. And every time I took it for a few weeks and I hated the way it made me feel. And I stopped. Um, and then later in my thirties, so, so Ritalin or it was Adderall. I, I quit taking because I was literally ripping the uh, my cuticles apart on my fingers. I was like picking my nails compulsively. Uh, I forget what happened on the second one um, in high school. I just, I think I was just being rebellious and I never even took it enough to know what it would have done to me. Um, I took a drug at one point called Stratera. Yeah, yeah. That's what I thought you were going to tell me in high school. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, uh, I think I was prescribed that in my twenties. I was, you know, look, I was a, I was a poor struggling musician going to school and teaching lessons and playing three to 400 gigs a year and not getting enough sleep. And I went through a divorce and took Stratera 
I'm going to share this. <laughs> if you have children in, in the room, cover their ears. I thought I had to pee and I went to the toilet. I feel like you may know where I'm about to go with this. And semen was dribbling out of my penis as I thought I was taking a piss. Like I was like, uh, yeah, I'm out on this deal. <laughs> and then later uh, in my early thirties, when my wife and I were like, we were fighting, we were a new blended family couple and having tension and going through fighting uh, or going through conflict. And we went to a therapist and therapist was great, but I was like, I'm also going to just make sure, I don't know, whatever. And they gave me something called Depakote because they said, or valproic acid. Those are the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. uh -huh. Yeah. Cause they're like, Oh, you're, you're flying off the handle and you're ups and downs. And then, and that started giving me what felt like electric shocks mm -hmm. in my body. So yeah. it's like, I'm like, oh, for four on this crap, man. And yeah. you know what? You know what I've learned now that I live a completely chemical free life. If you keep a regular schedule, you work out every day, you eat a clean diet without processed foods or simple carbs, and you actually heal your trauma and you have a loving, nurturing relationships in your life and you exclude the people that stress you out and you love your work. Life's freaking amazing. And you don't need drugs. Yeah. Imagine that. It's amazing. You're absolutely right. Not only do you not need drugs, you really, again, you see that. You see that this whole idea of mental health can be managed in so many different ways. And by the way, you know, it'd be silly for us not to say or notice that sometime today you already have had a moment of feeling dead on miserable. Like more than likely sometime today, you have had a moment where you bunch, which you went down to the bottom of the pool, you know, where you were like, whoa, right. whoa. Yeah, I was I was on an interview to I've had this is my third interview. I was on two shows and now I'm hosting one. On the first one, there was a moment about 45 minutes in when my energy dipped and I lost my train of thought. And I was like, man, I feel I feel weird. I feel I don't, but then like you're right, like 10 minutes later it was gone. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I also I have all those things on tools. I'm I'm I, as I mentioned in as you mentioned in my bio, I have a I have a sp spectacular relationship. I mean, if you're going to be locked down with somebody, it might as well be with the best person you've ever met in your world. Mm -hmm. And that's how I got lucky like that. And then uh, and then our three cats as well. And so there, I have that sort of taken care of. And then this idea of really, you know, eating well, taking in what matters, surrounding yourself only with people that actually empower you, who you can empower getting the people who suck energy out of you out of your life, you know, with all due respect, um, taking good care of your physical vessel, you know, whether that's working out or walking, or even just if you're meditating or mindfulness or whatever, like actually doing the things you know are right, drinking a fair amount of water, watching your, uh, you know, watching your, 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 your carbs or processed foods. Um, you can get a life that actually works even in the even in the face of external circumstances that are truly you can't look at they're truly unbearable and and uh, they're truly like they're truly shockingly challenging so so let me ask you this um i mean are there people mm -hmm. with well, well let me say this so for most people you're suggesting that the medication and even more than that the identity the labeling of self as as damaged in some way, shape, or form. That is essentially just a coping mechanism for for legitimate ailments that are externally related, and that it, in some ways it's just easier to, to to medicate than to deal with the problem. And or, and maybe they feel trapped and they don't 
know how to shift out of it, or maybe they just don't want to do that work. Um, but are there scenarios where people legitimately have like the a neurological misfire that they need one of these drugs for? Hey, sorry for the interruption. I just wanted to let you know you can get a free copy of my book, The Millionaire Shortcut, which shows you the fastest way to become a millionaire in the new economy. And there's a special link just for this episode in the description. So thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the episode. So that's a pretty advanced question. I get asked that every, every about every other podcast yeah. that I'm on. So here, here's what I have to say about it. Number one, when you're, the first thing is, it's not linear, you know, it's not linear. Like, um, I want relief too when I feel like I just do. And these medicines, they cause, they cause like short-term relief, many of them. Mm -hmm. The same way that cutting off your arm would cause short-term relief for the uh, mosquito bite you have on your elbow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It would. <laughs> Until you realize you don't have an arm and that's why you don't have an elbow and that's why you don't have a mosquito bite. It's like, well, that was a pretty big price to pay, wasn't it? So, you know, there are people in the world, like people say, you know, what about, what about Putin or what about Stalin or what about Hitler or what about, you know, pedophiles and, um, it's just, those are really, you know, difficult and challenging questions here with all due respect, I have as little respect for those people as anybody. And it's not like I have a new level of respect for those people, but what I do have is there's something in those folks, in these folks, all of us, that really more than anything wants or wanted to be heard and loved at least at one point. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. Yeah. I have uh, some friends. I have a friend in particular. I have a number of friends. People, if you get to hang out with me, you get to be freaking weird because I, all I hang out with are total crazy, angelic, ultra, ultra cosmic beings. That's who's my friends. And I have some friends who who really pulled off some horrible stuff when they were growing up, you know, like like really horrible stuff, like, you know, gang murders and all that. And then they 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 turned around their life once they and they were doing that stuff because they were good. You see, they were doing that stuff because that's because they were being really, really, really good inside of the rules that they were playing the game in. Right. They were so good at it. And all they were doing was what they thought was a good, what a good boy would do. So they were getting needs met. That's right. Just yeah. like all of us. At one point they realized, oh, this, this bad stuff isn't good anymore. So I'm going to actually go to the other side and start doing good stuff. And they now do that good stuff with the same level of conviction that they did the bad stuff. And these are the most trustworthy people I've ever met in my life, for sure. For sure. Positively. Like I try, my, you know, I sent my wife to a vision quest with, with this particular guy for four days, just him and her. And it was a zero concern and zero concern, zero, mm -hmm. zero, zero. I would have more concern about anybody else in the world than him. Mm. Once you visited what it means to really be a human and taken some good, hard looks at the work, which clearly you've done. And, and I've done a little bit of it myself. And once it is clear that you have taken a look at the misery that sometimes arises in life that becomes nearly intolerable, if not truly intolerable, and considered that as part of what it means to be human, now you graduate into a class called wise or sage or powerful or humble or 
um, what, steady, grounded, human, compassionate, forgiving, accepting. You know, there's something you have to do when you get there. It's an evolved state. Not everybody gets there. But I can tell people who have been there. I feel like I can tell and and I because I resonate with them, you know, because life does suck. I, I've cried a number of times today. Literally, I, I, my my cheeks are wet. That's not because I was having a good time during those moments. I was not. I'm having a great time right this moment. Super great to be exactly where I am and express what's up with being an effing human. You got something better for me to do? I'll go do that. But in the meantime, I don't have anything better to do. I just don't. So if this is being expressed to a number of people and maybe some small percentage of them are converting, like, you know, 10% are actually listening and thinking, wow, that's cool shit. I just changed my life because I just heard Dr. Fred say that. Damn. That's called making an influence. That's called making a difference. That's called authenticity, breeding authenticity, like you had mentioned. Yeah, I think there's a, it's, man, it's actually so ironic. Literally, you know how uh, when you came on, you, were, you said, hey, I got something to do. And I was like, that's cool. I got something to do. And then we like waited five minutes and started the show here, right? So the thing that I was doing was uploading a, a little 60 second video I, I shot, you know, just my content creation cadence, whatever. And in it, it was specifically about, I was, I was saying, look, like I'm, you know, if we were going to grade all the influencers in the world and say like the rock is like level 100, I don't know. I'm like a 22 or something, right? Like I'm on the scale, I'm climbing the scale. My ascendancy is happening pretty quick, but like, I have no delusions of grandeur. Right. But like what I was saying is right now it's me popping up in your feed. Hi, I'm Jeff and you can do it. And I'm inspirational and I'm good for you. Like we're here to make, have me give you something of value. Right. And I'm like, and if you're watching stuff like this, you're, you're seeing people like me and many people that are much more prominent and famous and impactful and all this stuff. But, and that's great. Download all the good information that you can, but never for one second, compare the totality of your life that you inhabit every second of every day to these tiny slivers that you see. And, and, and the mere act of comparison will do far more harm than any amount of good in the information that you're downloading from the people that you're seeing that popping up in your feed. Right. And anyway, so what occurs to me, that was the point of my video, but what occurs cool. to me as you're saying this is that like, we as human beings have such a tendency to, to artificially differentiate us from people that we, that we view to be much better than us and also from people that we view to be much worse than us. It's like everybody in the fat part of the bell curve, like we're humanity, but then you have like the psychopaths over there and you have the superstars over there. And we don't really consider either extreme to be human. True. We're all human. True. And there is a Hitler in every one of us. And there is a Michael Jordan in every one of us. True. And there is both at the same time coexisting in every one of us. Yeah, and true. that is, I do believe that. I do not believe that Hitler is neurological wiring that is different than me. Right. No, I believe, I agree with you that Hitler is a set of needs and, a, and a, an experience of trauma that were unmet and that were destructive and never resolved that led him down a path that I think it is actually a dangerous to think that I could never go there. That's yeah. actually the danger. It is. Brilliant. 
I think. I, and I, that's coming from a Jew. I hear you. I hear you. Jewish here as well. I really hear you. And, you know, when you can think like that, there's just, look, congratulations for getting like that, for getting that even one second before you die. <laughs> like, there's something about getting there that has you be, like, you, you took a step in this life to get to that. To remember that of all the 7.8 billion who are presently alive and the other whatever number of billion, probably 7.8 again, I don't even know that number, that have ever been alive, um, you know, we, 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 we share, we, we share these dark sides. Like, um, yeah, there's part of us that really realize that, you know, this, uh, whether it's ethnic cleansing or, you know, invasions into another country or sex trafficking, these things that just fuck us up. Um, they fuck us up because they're little seeds in us. They're little seeds in us, you know? And I'm not saying, again, he's like, oh, did you hear him? He said something, you know, that's the other thing is that social media has now created a situation that even if you say something like that, it could be heard as being supportive of Hitler or something. Oh yeah, and somebody could clip it and be like, oh, they stitched two things together and Jeff said that he identifies with Hitler or something. Yeah, exactly. You know what, by the way, if you're gonna do that, like, Kiss my ass. (laughs) Exactly. Like, I'm sorry you have nothing better to do. And yeah, hopefully you don't turn into that. By the way, 117 billion, by the way, I Googled it. That's how many people are purported to have ever lived. All right, 117. Good enough. (laughs) But no, it's it's every one of them. I think of it as like, I think of it as like incremental increments, right? Like, if I was born at the 50 yard line, and on a really bad day, when I compromised my ethics, I moved a few yards towards one end zone, towards the dark end zone. Fortunately, something else rebounded me back to the 50-yard line. But what if it had actually been followed by something else that nudged me the other way again? And a string of nudges, suddenly I'm, I was at the 30-yard line. And like you start to lose your grasp. And you start to lose your ability to get yourself back. I mean, I've, been, I've plunged down dark holes. No doubt. No they were doubt. never that dark, but well, pretty dark, Jeff. You've been down some holes. It's pretty clear. Well, I mean, it's just, I think it's just us being honest. Like yeah. this is the authentic voice thing though. Is like, if yeah. I literally, when I said, I'm at the point where I literally don't give a fuck. It's like, I would rather authentically own that. I have come face to face with my capacity for depravity. Yeah. And that I had fortunately just enough lingering decency from having been raised by wonderful parents to go, I do not like the way this feels. And I better make a hasty about face and try to find some good to pull myself out with. That like, I mean, thank God for that. But yeah, good for it. Yeah. But I'd rather, I'd rather own that than than you know, just stay up here and pretend that that we're all, you know, in Stepford. Yeah. You know, this idea of pretending to be somebody in order to protect the person that you really are mm. is mm. so ludicrous and ineffective and yet was created by a child called you. And, you know, when you pretended to be more upset than you were so you could get a lollipop or when you pretended that, you know, you didn't do it, your sister did it so she would get in trouble or 
when you pretended to be sick so you didn't have to go to school so the bully wouldn't screw with you or you know all those things uh it served a, it served a purpose it paid dividends at the time and then you know i like to say that the crack in the cement got a little bit larger over time because we never went back and fixed it yeah and now we spend our most of our life in for most of us you know in in a fair amount of duplicity and pretentiousness a fair amount a fair amount pretending to be someone that we're not pretending to be strong stable steady you know even loving caring all that shit that we really work hard to pretend so that we will belong you know as if there is a way to be you know and and we you know we even re- pretend to be uh civil you know or we pretend to be um kosher or pretend to be whatever your word is you know um all those things have a string of pretension inciting them so just getting it doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it it means that we should have access to the acceptance the forgiveness and the compassion for ourselves for having come that way it's it's fine it's fine it's no problem and and don't get and don't get lost in the ruse exactly right where you 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 don't you don't have the authentic home base to return to or at least to long for right exactly yeah no exactly the authentic look the tears this week you know i'm just coming off finishing the 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 course i teach the the course i the the course i guess your listeners could be interested in is a course called tvp or yeah, tell us about it please my yeah, listeners i'm true, true voice podcasting and we just finished our second cohort moments ago actually it was the last course of uh, 13 weeks that's what i was finishing up before i started here and um you know really looking at the time is now to bring our true voice forward and i don't have a better methodology to doing that i don't have a better platform to do that than the present day podcasting world uh, social media is way, way more restrictive, way more constricted, way more censoring and canceling and algorithm based. And they own your stuff on social media. Whereas here, we still own our stuff. You can still speak your real truth. You can help people redevelop their own thoughts and ideas. There's a listenership that you can get, a fan base that you can get. You can aim this message at that particular demographic in the middle of you know Singapore if you want. There's... Uh, something about podcasting that's very beautiful. And what I got in this today was this idea that, and it really affects me today anyways. Like, you know, I told you I took some shots earlier today that, you know, from people here and there who was upset with me or misunderstood me or under, I don't know, took things out of context in my world. But then I got, is this, what am I doing? Like, is this too late? Can I really make a difference in this world? Is it already too late? Has the dawn mm-hmm. already come? You know? Yeah. And uh, I, I very much relate to that question. I just want you to know. Yeah. Yeah. And when the answer lands on, yep, it's too late. It's a very painful moment. And uh, I'm not sure what's going to get me up. You know, I want to go get high or go have sex or go eat a lot of food or Go do something for pleasure. Go, you know, yes. I don't know. Dopamine at any cost. Right? A dopamine at any cost. Exactly. <laughs> you know, my trainer, and you, it sounds like you know this, my trainer's like, dude, when that happens, you know, do 100 push-ups. And it's like, oh, that's pretty interesting. I could see where that works. So go run, you know, go run the field. Um, 
there's something to training that really allows to allow it is a way to to uh, metabolize this as well. Um, and then something happens like, you know, my cats will show up or Alexandra will show up or someone like you will show up where we get to take on a way freaking cool conversation. Like this is a way cool conversation, right? This is this is out there. We're already out there. We won't even know it till we're done. But it's like, well, this is a cool conversation. And the impact we're making, let's hope that we're affecting 10, 20, 30% of the people right. who are listening. We right. should get this out yesterday because it's cool stuff. You know, it's stuff that most people are struggling with and not very many people, especially men, have the articulation that you and I have as we take this stuff on. They just don't. They It's not like they're less than us. They just weren't bred to speak like this. Well, and, they, and, they've, and they've probably never really been given permission to play to develop the the skill set. Yeah. I mean, like I recognize I mean it's I, I by the way I love what you're saying about podcasting. It's you know, however many I think I'm about 200 episodes deep and this has been the sandbox in which I've not I mean I've always been a fairly eloquent person but I've I've developed this sense of permission exactly to be authentic and have conversations like this and and not and a not feel like an imposter right. and b not like this is my domain if you don't like what i have to say there's literally a million other podcasts you can go listen to but i will not compromise for you yeah and I, I i hear you about podcasting it is that it is kind of the last bastion of of pure self-created dominion yeah it is, you know, what Joe and Joe and Spotify had last month was a, you know, a little bit of a challenge to that. And, you know, they got, they, whoever they are, the forces got close to being, you know, making yeah. a difference in cancellation. But the truth is for us schmoes who got a few hundred or a few thousand or tens of thousands of downloads, um, we're still safe. We're still safe to speak our truth and to make a difference for the people who are listening. And every so often we can land a million downloads. And if you land a million downloads, that's such a remarkable event. It's such a remarkable event. It's so shocking that if in fact you can load a gem and then send it a million deep, dude, you just did something unbelievable. That's like, that's like some guerrilla warfare right that's there. That's guerrilla warfare, exactly. Yeah. And you can do that. We, it is conceivable that this episode could do that, for instance. It's, it just yeah. goes and goes and goes. Yeah, you build it, it and you build it and you compound it. And I mean, I'm, I'm looking now I'm at about I'm, I'm approaching 200,000 downloads all time now. That's cool. Good Which is cool. It's I mean, yeah, 22 out of 100 or whatever you said. Yeah, we're getting there. But uh, but no, I mean, just here's the thing. If nobody listened, this would still be my therapy. This would still be my psychiatry. This would still be developmentally essential for me. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I, it is. It's a, it's a place to speak, you know, in the world of, of true voice, in the methodology of true voice. This is a group of like-minded individuals who are committed to improving the conversation through um, authentic, uh, 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 authentically speaking and radical listening to move the needle forward in any setting. Okay. So can you, can you dig, can you lean into radical listening for us and unpack sure. that? 
And I, yeah, I didn't mean to cut you off if you want to no, finish. No, no, that's thought, great. Please. Listening is the key ingredient here. Listening is a lot more important than vocalities. And, and what I mean by that is, first of all, you can never get in trouble if all you're doing is listening, ever. There's never been somebody who's listened and gotten in trouble for listening. Right. You don't. You can't put your foot in your mouth. You can't even misunderstand. You can't do anything until you speak. You can't cause trouble until you speak. So it's a very safe little space to go to and to get out of your own way, as they say, and be there for the other person without thinking, okay, what am I gonna say next? Most people spend a lot of time thinking about what they're gonna say next. And they therefore bypass the listening of the person that's speaking. So there's like, who are you with and what are you listening to and what are they saying or trying to say even more than whatever comes out of their mouth. So you are already determining as I speak, the cadence I use, the word choice I use, the ideas that I use, you're already getting something about me that I'm not even saying out loud. You're getting something like you get an idea of where I'm coming from that is quite different maybe than the actual content dripping out of my mouth. So inside that listening, you get to create a return volley, if you will, that is consistent with where I am. The more adept you get at listening, the more you can see what it is I'm looking for on the return or what kind of thought am I really asking you to share with me. So it creates that. But there's even a different kind of listening, which is contextual listening. Contextual listening is where and when are we talking and what's on the line, right? Like right now we're online. I get that there's going to be several thousand people who someday will, will, will hear us or see us say this. So what I'm speaking to is towards that group of people. I already have it determined that my conversation is to be shared with that group of people who I assume is your regular fan base download who are already into how you think. So I'm now getting to use your fan base to deliver my particular message in an interchange with you. All of those things, listening to the context, listening to the listenership, like who's out there and why and what, what's being called for, and then listening to the other person allows me to deliver my voice much more effectively into the space that it's being called for. That's radical listening, really listening to what's being said, what's, what's being said in the unsaid, and then what's being said in the environment that's calling forth whatever conversation is on the mm. line. That is powerful. I'm, man. I like, hold on. I, I'm like, I don't have my usual setup. Usually I have another console where I can take notes. Like that is good shit. So it's, <laughs> it's listening to what is being said. It's listening also to what is being unsaid. Yeah. And then it's, and then it's listening or having an awareness of the environment, which is drawing out what is being said and, and creates multiple degrees of implication basically yeah context like yeah reconfiguration recontextualization of what's being really asked for what, what radical 